Hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, baby. How about these? They're beauties, aren't they? The hottest day of the year and cauliflower cheese. I'm just saying you're in the bin. Yeah, I'm swimming. But yeah, yeah, but why? Because it's a hot day. Yeah, yeah, but you're in the bin. Yeah, well, I'm trying to enjoy the hottest day in England. It's 40 degrees. Well, well, well it's not. It's not. It's not a celebration. It's not. It's not like it's a, a bit. Celebration. How is it? Well, it's a celebration for normal English people like me. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but no, no buts. No, no, but you're having a cocktail in the bin. <laughs> Before. No, I just want to see what you've got. Well, you're a pervert. You're a pervert. You I... want to see my naked body? Yeah, man. Oh, to... yeah, yeah. Well, fuck off. I'm not interested. All right, sorry. Eh? Yeah, you should be sorry. Off you toddle. No, no, no come no, on, then. Come on, if you want to fight. No, come on, then. Like, don't say, come oh, on, then. I'm going to toddle off. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I want to see your naked body because I'm a All right, man. So come on, then. Come on, then. Come on, then. Go out of there, then. Don't say, come on. I've told you to come on. But what are you going to do? I'll knock your bloody nose down your throat. All right, then go on then. You see, ah! How about these? They're beauties, aren't they? Cauliflower cheese. Hasta la vista, baby. Hello there, ladies and mandelbeezers. It's Chappie, your British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese, episode 208. What a week it's been. You had Boris leaving Prime Minister's questions for the last time. Hasta la vista, baby! And then you had a gentleman who was drinking an apple spritz cocktail in his wheelie bin. He was just sitting in there, in the bath, I believe, and a passerby started filming him. And uh, who knows if it was staged or not, but I think once it gets over 40 degrees Celsius, that's like 100 degrees, you have to start registering things on the cuckoo-ometer. Yeah, the cuckoo-ometer. So, yeah, once it gets over there, you've got a guy in a bin basically having a cocktail, nearly getting into a fight. That's going to register on the cuckoo-ometer. You basically had uh, people sticking ice lollies up different orifices. That was that will register on the cuckoo-ometer. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely going to register on the cuckoo-ometer. And then you uh, had warnings from town councils that uh, people might be sunbathing or doing the gardening in the nude. And you had to warn your neighbours before you went outside in the nude. That was, and that was again on the cuckooometer. Well, that's definitely going to register on there as well. So it's a certain level of madness where people go outside. First of all, they're pale white, never get any sun. And then all of a sudden they take all their clothes off and they start getting sunstroke and it makes them insane. I mean, normal people who are used to being out in the sun and out in the tropical climes on the beaches more often know that little thing called sunscreen and not to drink 10 pints and get completely dehydrated and go clinically insane. I think as a teenage lad, that's probably why I had a little bit of a fiery temper. I used to get overheated, especially playing golf in the summertime. When the mercury rises, the temper rises to the top. But now that I'm here, I've got a gentle fan oscillating, just gently wafting over the curls, all the, you know, matte clay 
slick down uh, hairstyle that I have here as I conduct this podcast, everything's a little bit calmer, a little bit more chill, but then I guess everybody using air conditioning makes climate change even worse. The other day, though, this is if it, talking about on the cuckooometer. We'll add this to the cuckooometer. It was about 90 degrees the other day. I had the air conditioning up so high, I needed a blanket. Yeah, we had to add that to the collection as well. It's, it's, it's insanity. And then I, I get the house cold, get Chappie Towers nice and cool. And then I'm freezing. I need a sweater. I need a blanket. I need everything else. So insanity definitely ensues. I thought I'd solve one problem though. You know I've got the lazy corgi who doesn't like walking. He just likes to lay down. But well maybe the problem is she's dehydrated and needs water when I'm walking. So I got one of these uh, little dog cups that folds up nicely fits into the pocket and you can easily erect it whilst on the walk and pour some water in. And, uh, and Maggie was loving this. The trouble is she was stopping more often because she loved the novelty of the little foldable water bowl and the water being poured in. And then she was stopping every five minutes. So I thought I'd solved the, the problem, but uh, I'm going to have to come up with another solution for that. One of those weekends with the hair to be slicked back and the wayfair is on, baby. So today on the podcast, uh, we're going to be covering the confusion of burrito versus wrap. What's the difference? Because I think in the UK you call everything a wrap, where in the US everything's called a burrito. I'm sort of a little bit confused about the whole thing. So I'm going to try, as I do when I use this podcast, as pure therapy, trying to get clarity on something here. Now, can you wet a Grenadier Guard's bearskin hat? Because those guys, it was 40 degrees, but they still had the bearskin on. It has been reported that People are putting ice lollies up various orifices, up the hoo-ha. I mean, yeah, no. so we're going to hazard a guess. What is the ice lolly that will cool you down the most? I know, quality, top entertainment here on the, on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I started writing little golf tips on post-it notes and sticking them on the wall. I think I've got a problem. We'll be talking about that as well. I may have ants in my bed. I've been itching since Wednesday. I do believe I have ants in my bed here. I saw on Twitter a picture of my grandmother or my mother's old cutlery set the other day. What sort of things do you remember from your childhood? I remember these old cutlery sets with these sort of fake ivory handles. They weren't real ivory. Come on now, they weren't real ivories. The madness of the man in the bin drinking a cocktail. Throughout the week, there's been loud people in the gyms. I, I first of all had somebody with uh, closed headphones on, on the gym, having an incredibly loud conversation. I probably got tinnitus now because I had to turn up my volume to the max because there's a guy on the phone uh, whilst uh, on the travelator and he's having a very, very loud conversation. <sighs> and then there's a, uh, we've got an ADD guy in the gym he goes from one machine to the next grunting all the while slamming these weights down um and then he's carrying around a bunch of these sort of bleach wipes that he's wiping off every uh every item very very liberally and then going back to it five seconds later and then having to wipe it again the guy has add but i do think i put some people off uh moving into chappy towers the other day 
because uh, I didn't have a belt on and I was showing my bottom crack. We'll be talking about that. I dreamt about a spider the other day as well. Yeah, the, a spider the other day. What do a spider's dreams mean? We'll be having some of these topics across the podcast between now until the end of the weekend. I had the discussion the other day with my girlfriend, the burrito versus the wrap. They're, they're sort of the same thing to me. In the UK, I think we call things wraps. Burritos have only really caught on as a term, a terminology recently. So the burrito versus the wrap, big debate over time. Most people are agreed that a burrito is a wrap, but a wrap is not necessarily a burrito. Well, this is rather confusing, isn't it? Although this conversation may get fired up, the answer is not crystal clear. Similarities. A simple Google search will tell you a burrito is a tortilla wrapped around a savory fillings to form a cylindrical flavor-packed meal, while a wrap is a flatbread rolled around fillings. But it seems almost exactly the same thing. Hence, burritos bear remarkable resemblance to wraps when referring to each other's ingredients. Origins of the two. A burrito is a classic Mexican dish loved for its delicious taste and convenient messy-free eating experience. Well, I wouldn't say it's messy-free when I'm eating it, it plays a big role in Mexican culinary culture and its food is seen as almost every table uh, of Mexican households. It was not until around 1930 that burritos made an appearance in the United States. they become a comfort food for many Americans ever since. So hence many passionate advocates for burritos and anti-rappers claim that wraps are really just burritos repackaged to appeal to a different audience. The authentic burrito consists of refried beans, a single type of meat and some vegetables which vary from region to region. Usually the meat is shredded or minced beef, flour tortillas are tightly wrapped around the fillings to form an enclosed cylinder to be eaten by hand. Various and variants of burritos have been adopted to suit taste preferences, availability of ingredients and dietary needs. The abundance in versions of burritos is also a product of capitalism where businesses continue to churn out new recipes to attract new customers. As such, wraps are argued to become one of the new recipes that came into being in the process. People mix the mashed fillings to create something that's not refried brains and meat and enter it into the market with a new name, thereby wraps. Another less noticeable difference lies in the presentation of these two seemingly similar foods. Wraps tend to be open while burritos are closed. Spot the difference. The first is a wrap, second a burrito. Wraps are generally open on both sides, burritos closed at least on one side. Another difference between a wrap and a burrito is that wraps are often served cold, burritos are served warm. Due to the coldness, many people link wraps to sandwiches. Although authentic burritos do not include any sauce, many variants of burritos do. Their burritos smothered with savory and spicy sauces like guacamole, pico de gallo, crema, um, wraps, on the other hand, are rarely served with wet sauces. There can be melted cheese. This is sticky, but not liquid. You'll, uh, you'll not see anybody enjoying wraps with a knife and fork. And the biggest problem, though, of all is the fact that I don't see a difference between a wrap and a burrito, is that I also mispronounce the name. Instead of saying tortilla, I say tortilla. 
Buckingham Palace guards break stoic stances to drink water amid the London heatwave this week. Despite the temperatures hitting 100 degrees Fahrenheit, the guards outside Queen Elizabeth's London residence wore their famous uniforms and bearskin caps. The Buckingham Palace guards were feeling the heat as temperatures in London hit 100 degrees Fahrenheit on Monday. The famous guards outside Queen Elizabeth's royal residence remained on duty in their recognisable uniforms, complete with their bearskin hats. Although they have a reputation for their serious demeanour, unflinching even when a tourist attempts to make them crack a smile, they were given respite amid the heatwave. A security guard was spotted holding a water bottle up to a member of the Queen's Guard to take a sip while maintaining his position and holding his weapon. Also on Monday, two guards were spotted delivering a teacup with a drink inside to one of their colleagues. The Queen's Guards is a contingent of infantry responsible for guarding the monarch's official residences. A detachment of the regiment on guard at Buckingham Palace and St James's Palace is also responsible for providing the guard at the Tower of London, which is officially a royal residence where the crown jewels are located. While they're known for their strict rules and protocols, last year guardsmen collided with a young boy in the path after he didn't heed a warning to make way. Quickly enough, heat has proved to be a problem for them. It's not uncommon for a member of the Queen's Guard to faint during a summer event such as the Trooping of the Colour, the Queen's annual birthday parade. Last month, multiple guards fainted outside the National Service Thanksgiving that was part of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Bearskin hats have been worn by the Grenadier Guards for many, many years. They've been worn by Prince William, Prince Philip, Prince Charles, Duke of Kent, uh, across the Trooping of the Colour. They are and have been made of bearskin. How big are they? Current and past members of the Grenadier and Coldstream Guards, as well as contacts at the Royal Warrant Holder, Pete in London, who makes ceremonial hats for the British Royal Family, report that bearskin hats are now made from synthetic skins. In the past, however, they're made from real bearskins. This real bearskin hat continues to be in service, diligently maintained for many, many decades. Some are a hundred years old. That's a very old bear. The tall hats weigh approximately seven pounds, made from uh, the pelts of Canadian female brown bears. Brown bears have thicker fur. It goes back to 1815, when the first regiment of the foot guards defeated Napoleon's French grenadier guards at the Battle of Waterloo and celebrated their victory by stealing their imposing fur hats. When they returned to England, they renamed the grenadier guards as they are named today. Their uniform was changed to include these tall fur hats as a permanent reminder of their victory. Today there are five regiments and each one has a special coloured feather plume in the bearskin to distinguish their regiment. Prince William is part of the Irish regiment whose bearskins have a blue plume. The uh, Coldstream Guards have a red plume. The Grenadier Guards have a white plume. And the Welsh Guards have a striped white, green and white plume. The Scottish Guards have no plume. They're too, too mean to the plumes. There is an excellent information on Grenadier Guards and bearskins across many different areas. There's no doubt the use of animal uh, pelts is a fashion. It's controversial and as, they, as I say they now use fur, uh, faux fur for the bearskin hats. Why don't they just wet the, wet the fur? If my dogs get overheated I just pour a bottle of water on them. You could get the Grenadier Guards. They could have little spray bottles or you could just soak the bearskin. But I mean, I'm, I imagine like the, the wet dog smells awful, but the wet bear smell probably hideous. Many people are finding rather interesting eccentric ways of keeping cool in this steaming heat wave we have going on. But Dr. Raphael Barnabas claims he was forced out 
uh, of uh, medicine. Uh, Britain's most famously closed shop for merely questioning medical orthodoxy. Three years ago, during a previous heat wave, Dr. Barnes promoted putting ice lollies up your bottom to keep cool. The innovative and cost-effective way of keeping cool was hailed by many for a time. Dr. Barnabas Ping quite the celebrity. But this deviation from the norms accepted by Britain's medics made him enemies, powerful enemies. Now he's struggling to fund his cider habit in a Bindolf bedsit. Poor Dr. Barnabas is a broken man, rejected by his former colleagues and shunned by society. His dreams and ambitions for gentler, cooler Britons are in ruins. No doubt the doctors will claim innocence. They will assert that or insert that Dr. Barnabas is the author of his own downfall after inserting an ice lolly up his own bottom in a park is of course one explanation and others would naturally shy away from the, even the idea. But given the power over life and death, Britain's doctors have gone berserk. If they can now break a man for simply suggesting a novel way of keeping cool in warm weather, these people are capable of anything. And now we have a definitive ranking from best to worst ice creams. Not necessarily, you know, you put up your hoo-ha or anything else. How about at number 30, the funny foot? Well, people talk about being putting your foot in your mouth or foot up your bottom. Uh, but uh, we've got basically got a swollen pink foot uh, for an ice cream. Then you have the knobbly bobbly, probably the perfect thing to insert somewhere. Uh, at number 29, the knobbly bobbly. Um, is uh, rather delicious looking, I think. The Choc Ice at 28. Uh, how hard do you like your chocolate on your Choc Ice? The Mini Milk. That's probably, you know, for the more sensitive disposition. The Mini Milk at number 27. Do you like a bounty? Well, coconut everywhere. At number 26, the Fab at 25. Uh, hundreds and thousands everywhere. How about a Fruit Split at 24? Uh, two Fingers. The Twix at 23. Uh, how about a feast? Chocolate on the outside, chocolate in the middle. Oh, mummy. Uh, the Cornetto, just one Cornetto or maybe two. As my sister's been teasing me about the chocolate at the bottom of the Cornetto, my favourite piece, solid chocolate at the bottom of the cone. One of my favourite things. Number 20, the Cider Lolly, a Ribena Lolly. At number 19, 18, Maltesers Ice Cream. Uh, how about a Screwball? <laughs> number 17. Orange lolly, standard, but very efficient. A lemonade lolly, that may make you a little bit bitter. Or a nice popticle, Mr. Freeze. Calipo shots at number 13, 12, a jubbly. Yes, don't get your jubblies out in the park either. At number 11, uh, a Mars a day makes you work, rest and play. Uh, Snickers, beware where the nuts fall. Uh, number nine, a fruit pastel lolly. Uh, lots of fruit, getting your five a day. A rocket lolly. Oh dear. Narrow at the top, wide at the base. A Solero at number seven. A game of Twister at number six. The Maxi Bomb. A little bit too much crumbly chocolate and cookies. Galaxy Ice Cream at number four. Calipo number three. The 99. Beware of the Flake. And then different flavors of Magnum from dark chocolate to your white chocolate. Saw this in the week. When I was a young actor at RADA, Noel Coward was in the audience one night. He said to me after the play, Young man, of your devastating good looks and your disastrous lack of talent, you should take any job that's ever offered to you. This is a warning that was posted to Twitter. 
uh, with a picture of this gentleman. This guy was supposedly going to buy our washer dryer for £150. He wanted to see if it was working first and asked if he could do a load of laundry. After he finished, he said, let me go get the money. He got in his car and drove away with his clean clothes. Posted down below, are you selling an iron as well? Definitely a clean getaway. Foods my American husband didn't know about before marrying a Brit. This British woman is making all sorts of dishes Americans have never heard of and it's intriguing millions of people. Pork pies, mushy peas, oh my. British-American couple named Caroline and Sean have recently been taking over TikTok, or should we say food talk. It all started when Caroline decided to give her husband something the Brits call a chip butty. It consists of butter, chips, french fries, and an America between two slices of bread. Uh, it looks like something you'd eat after drinking too much. Sober up. All I can think about how dry it is. It really looks dry in flavor. As Sean approved, after hundreds of thousands of views, it was clear that people wanted to see Sean try other British food. So Caroline delivered the couple, continued making videos. Sean tries some of the most popular British concoctions like beans on toast, which he liked. He loved jammy dodgers, which are shortbread cookies with raspberry jam fillings. He also tried twiglets. Apparently they're crispy and have a Marmite coating on them. Ugh. Caroline also introduced him to Jaffa cakes, which are uh, a sponge base, a layer of orange flavored jam and a coating of chocolate. He was definitely a fan. British born person Caroline told Buzzfeed she thinks the main difference between British foods and American foods is that American foods are much sweeter. Also British foods with milk are way creamier than the US stuff. Husband says that British flavors are very strong. You either love them or you hate them. So far, the couple said that Yorkshire puddings, basically baked pudding biscuits, have been Sean's favourite. His least favourite, though, was the Branston pickle sandwich, which consists of bread, butter, cheese slices, and Branston jar pickled in chutney. A lot of the British foods have been utilising bread and toast, like the sausage butty, which is sausage on bread with HP, House of the Parliament, brown sauce, a butter and sandwich spread uh, with sandwich spread, uh, yeah, that's pretty uh, awful. A can of spaghetti uh, on buttered toast, yum, and a can of mushy peas mixed with some mint sauce has also been on the menu as well. Finally, the lovely pork pie that's basically a piece of pork with gelatin wrapped around it encased in pastry. I know when I uh, even opened up the jar for my love to smell the Branston pickle, that is her least favourite British condiment that is available. She said that I would need a separate fridge if ever we moved in together. I'm very new back to the gym, but I'm wondering if there's sort of some sort of gym etiquette where there has to be some level of silence. People aren't allowed to put their music on, they're meant to have their headphones on, and it's sort of like a zen-like state as you're doing your exercises. But somebody was on the Travelator as I like to call it, but I see myself as a modern-day gladiator, as a jet or a wolf doing my uh, 35, 40 minutes of intense exercise as the Romans used to do in the Colosseum. Yes, I am a gladiator. But yeah, there was a gentleman with his headphones on. He had the closed sort of Bose headphones right over his ears. He couldn't hear anything, so he was speaking incredibly loud. And he was on the phone for about 15 minutes, maybe a quarter of the gym session. And I've probably got tentatives now because I turned up the volume of my headphones so loud. 
But I wanted to give you a taste here, a flavour. He was the other side of the gym, but the microphone on the phone still picked up his incessant noise. I mean, at the end, he sounds like he could be like the voice of God or something. <laughs> He's yes, Chappie, step faster, step harder, my son. Now you need to do the rowing machine. Read the tablets of Moses whilst you lift these weights. I think it's time for the old fart Gen Xers to understand emoji etiquette. What we need to know as old farts. Text message acronyms caused plenty of confusion for the older generation when mobile phones became commonplace. Now emojis are compounding the embarrassment. Older people innocently using an aubergine or a winking face in their messages are horrifying younger colleagues, a report suggests. Slack, a workplace messaging service, surveyed 9,400 office workers worldwide, including 1,000 in the UK, and it found the biggest emoji faux pas at work were pictures of lips, tongue, and a smiling excrement or aubergine. Not a smiling aubergine or excrement aubergine, just an aubergine. Older people tended to use a winking face to signify a jokey mood, but for the youngsters it carried more flirty sexual connotations. Most older workers did not realise the dual meaning of the peach emoji, which for younger users signifies buttocks. Olivia Grace, a director at Slack, told the Mail on Sunday, the findings of our research are very clear. Be mindful when communicating with emojis across the generations. Younger people tend to view the winking face as feeling flirty, or even as a come on while older colleagues usually see it as harmless I'm kidding message. Emojis offer a great way to communicate emotion, whether it's a joke support, get well soon, or something else. It's a good to be aware that the different meanings may exist to avoid any awkward interpretations. A third of the under-40s believe the peach emoji was not suitable for the office. Even 59% of those over 55 had no idea of its hidden meaning. 47% of the older cohorts believed an aubergine uh, represented nothing more than a vegetable, uh, when half of the under-24s it was the most sexually suggestive emoji. So what do these mean here? So there's a little bit of explanation for you, the older listener at Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, and a little bit of an education for myself and etiquette. Uh, the peach, older people, fruit, younger people, buttocks. The winking face, older people, I'm joking or being friendly, younger people being flirty. That's the one I use the most, and it's a sort of, I do see it as a jokey emoji. I, I, I probably should put that one away in the cabinet, the lockbox, and never use it again. The smiling face, older people, happiness or pleasure, younger people, exasperation. The skull, older people, deaf, younger people, dead funny. Uh, painting nails, older people, meaningless, younger people, self-care, beautifying, and the youngest people, awaiting gossip. The simple smiling face was a source of misunderstanding. 60% of 40-year-olds showed as a sign of happiness or pleasure, but significant younger words use it to convey deep exasperation. The skull emoji, used seriously by older colleagues to mean death, actually denoted something being dead funny for the young. An image of somebody painting their nails was the most confusing. It meant nothing to the older generation, while the under-25 said it, there is gossip on the way. Speaking about the reasons for conducting the survey, Slack said there are certain emojis that should be off limits with your boss. 
Have the international colleagues ever interpreted or misinterpreted an emoji? And do you typically wait to build a relationship before sending emojis at work? It added that thousands of emojis at user disposal, there's a lot of potential to miscommunicate. Indian, Chinese and American workers are most likely to find emojiless messages lacking, especially compared with the global respondents. The number one likely to increase as digital native generations grow a little bit older. My greatest hits emojis when I go to my text message, the one I use the most often is sadly the winking emoji. And I thought it was meant to be a jokey reference. Now, have you rediscovered something over the years that used to really frighten you and creep you out as a child. And then my sister used to hate the weasels in Wendy Noellos. But this is something that I completely forgot about and all of a sudden came across it the other day. Mr. Nosy Bonk was the children's television character from your nightwares. Mr. Nosy Bonk was a creepy character who solved puzzles in a British show called Jigsaw from 1979 to 84. I don't think I've seen probably Nosy Bonk since 1984, um, but I saw the picture and it brought back terrible memories. Nosy Bonk was moot, always up to mischief, with a giant bulbous nose protruding from his ever grinning nightmarish face. I wouldn't be surprised if he was the culprit for many children's night terrors in the 1980s. Mr. Nosybonk spends some time in the garden, he plants some seeds, and to his delight sprouts into more giant noses. It looks like the mask that Jigsaw wore in Saw, based on Nosybonk. But when it came up the other day, it took me back to the nightmare evenings and nights of youth. A binman who says bosses banned him from wearing shorts on health and safety grounds came up with an ingenious solution to their dress code by wearing a high-vis kilt. Lee Moran mounted his sartorial protest as temperatures soared over 25 degrees Celsius and bosses at the York City Council insisted he needed to wear trousers. The dad of three had campaigned to wear shorts for years in the height of summer and on Monday, June 11th, he donned fluorescent orange kilt to make a stand against the policy. Mr. Moran said the response to his protest has been absolutely amazing and he hopes to convince the council to change their approach. For the last five years, I've been asking about wearing shorts, but they've just slung health and safety back at me left, right and center. But one of the managers approached me and said, look, Lee, you can wear a kilt. There's nothing about wearing a kilt. So I waited until the temperature reached over 25 degrees Celsius on Monday and was the perfect opportunity for it. The public responses have been absolutely great. Now I've seen some of the city York councillors ring me and message me, we're right behind you. Well, hopefully not literally behind the kilt. Uh, and he said he's always trusted his managers when he told him he was banned from wearing shorts on health and safety grounds. But when he went online recently and looked up the regulation, he was shocked to find out this was untrue. He decided to have a look, uh, looked at health and safety laws. There's no laws regarding bin men wearing shorts. Sweating in these trousers were a risk of collapse. Mr. Rana said he ordered the 60 pound kilt from a supplier in Canada and put it on only after his suspicious managers made inquiries about his clothes on that day. He said, instead of going to work like I normally do, I met up on the job. I had my manager uh, normally work, work attire on. I waited for the manager to ring the driver to see if I had a kilt on. As soon as the manager rang up, I changed into the kilt and worked at it all day. My workmates are all for it. They absolutely loved it. Management stated, we're undertaking a review of all of our operations in the extreme weather with our health and safety team. But we're not sure a kilt 
will necessarily be the right option for our staff. If the wind blows high and the wind blows low, Donald raise your tools! From kilts to haggis, the uncertain origin of Scotland's national dish. From comforting memories to playful jokes and maybe a bit of a shock, few foods can conjure up such strong reactions as a haggis. If you can get beyond the whole, it was cooked in an organ part, Scotland's national dish has all the ingredients necessary for a delicious meal. Meat, onions, salt, spices, oatmeal, served with a generous side of potatoes and turnips, while original recipes call for eggs, breadcrumbs, sheep's fat, and seasoning to be stuffed into a sheep's stomach. Scottish gourmet US insists the dish has evolved, yet the exact origins of haggis are hazy. Visit Scotland reveals a name could be derived from Sweden's haga, Iceland's hogva, or Scotland's hag. All words serving an accurate descriptors for the chopped contents of the cook's innards. In Homer's Odyssey, a man before a great blazing fire, turning swiftly this way and at a stomach full of fat and blood, very eager to have it roasted quickly, is a reference to other haggis-type dishes mentioned in the 14th century, English and Scottish poetry. But did haggis come from... Uh, would it actually be Scottish? In 2009, Glasgow-born food historian Catherine Brown discovered in 1615 an English cooking book with a written recipe for haggis. It's clear that Scots weren't the first to come up with the inventive way to cook various animal parts. Never tell a Scot so that the English came up with haggis. It's believed prehistoric hunters used a similar method to preserve meat, and Romans, Vikings, and Native Americans did the same, but the Scots have stoically continued to prepare meats this way, perhaps making use of cuts that would normally be discarded. Scottish poet Robert Burns cemented Scotland's claim to the dish with his 1787 address to the haggis, a poem now recited annually at the Burns birthday supper. As long as there are Burns suppers, there are people arguing over whether the great chieftain is really Scottish. Unless some dazzling new evidence comes to light, I don't expect the question will ever be settled. This question might be better left unanswered and chased by whiskey. From hermit to workaholic, which of the six sunbathing personality types are you? Are you the type of person who wakes up early on holiday to nab the best sunbed? You might be the sunbed space invader, according to the body language expert Judy James. Working with Hotels.com, Judy has identified six sunbathing types and revealed what yours says about you. The space invader, which applies to 40% of holidaymakers, according to research, is likely to be competitive and a little bit smug, while the chill and refill style, 67%, is likely suited to people with very stressful and busy lives. Other types are the fidgeter, who will try everything and struggles to sit still. The workaholic always brings their laptop to the pool. The sun worshipper pro who is obsessed with coming home with a tan. And the sleeping beauty who can't help but doze off in the heat. Irma Tag, spokesman for Hotels.com, says sunbathing is a great way to really switch off your daily worries and focus on relaxing. There are so many different types of sunbather, I'm sure we can relate to at least one of the personalities. After two years of restricted travel, Brits are finally ready to get aboard and lounge around the pool, with searches up 25% for July and August holidays compared to 2021. 
The six sunbathing personality types, the chill and refill, a novel and cocktail is all you need to fit into this category. You see your holiday as a well-deserved break after months of hard work and stress. The sunbed space invader. Are you the type to leave your towel on the best sun lounger in the morning before heading back to bed, despite knowing how annoying it is everybody finds it? You're a sunbed space invader. You tend to be competitive, planner and schemer, even though it does annoy other holiday makers. The hermit sleeping beauty, an introvert at heart. You ensure everyone knows that you're switched off and a solitary rather than open to socializing or flirting by wearing huge shades and a large brim sun hat or a baseball cap with a brim pulled down. Your body language will be pretty closed and barriered as you're all about the peace and quiet. The fidgeter. Sunbathing is not your favorite activity. In fact, you have a very short time limit on how long you can stretch out on the sunbed before getting bored or needing to move. Fun and impulsive, your fidgeting means you're the ones most likely to tilt over the sunbed over backwards while trying to get on it. And then you have the sun-worshipping pro. You're a forensic tanner, the one who knows exactly where to position and reposition their sunbed, at what angle and what time of day to ensure they get the best golden glow. You're meticulous about your sun creams, which sunbathe topless, where possible to ensure you get even coverage. And then the workaholic. You're a workaholic. You'll be able to make any destination suit your needs. You'll pitch your umbrella over the sunbed and sit down to get on with work with barely a glance at the view or the infinity pool. Arrived loaded with laptops, phones and paperwork, you'll happily put in a full day of work while your family is off having fun. Thank you for listening to this nonsense-laden bin ice receptacle possibly with a cocktail at the end and definitely a parasol keep calm and cauliflower cheese has been with you today your dearest host chappy under the oscillating fan and the new bed the bedman came we'll talk about this next time on the podcast yes he came he saw but did he conquer that is the question that is indeed the question. If you liked the podcast, you can like and subscribe across all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker Slacker, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Amazon Music, Audible. You open up your bin, your trash can, your rubbish receptacle. Pull the ice in and get in and gently crush the ice as you're a human martini. You can hear keep calm and cauliflower cheese emanating from the crushed ice as your posterior presses down on those cold little cylindrical things we like to call ice cubes if you like music with your waffle instead of uh, syrup then you can listen to the butler and Poirier musical edition where we have some don henley boys of summer some new tom chaplin you can have some uh, blue hat for a blue day, haircut 100. Lots of icy tunes for you as well. Some Missy Elliott asking you to work it. And some Scottish tunes to punctuate our haggis and indeed our kilts. Coming up next, a poem to quench your thirst. In Summer. O oh, summer has clothed the earth in a cloak from the loom of the sun and a mantle too of the sky's soft blue and the belt where the rivers run. And now for the kiss of the wind and the touch of the air, soft hands, with the rest of the strife and the heat of life, with the freedom of lakes and lands. I envy the farmer's boy who sings as he follows the plough, while the shining green of the young blades lean to the breezes that cool his brow. He sings to the dewy morn, no thought of another's ear, but the songs he sings are the chant for kings and the whole wide world to hear. 
He sings the joys of life, of the pleasures of work and rest, on the earthful heart, without aim or art, to the song of the merriest. O ye who toil the town, and ye who moil in the mart, hear the artless song, and your faith made strong shall renew your joy of your heart. O poor, where the worth of the world, if never a song were heard, if the sting of grief had no relief, and never a heart were stirred. So long as the streams run down, and as long as the robins trill, let us taunt old care with merry air, and sing in the face of ill. I will be back again before the dusk of the weekend for another edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Until next time, cheerio. Hasta la vista, baby!